0: And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Douglas Avery. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
1: My girls are natural beauty Everywhere she goes humor. She'll even laugh at my bad jokes. But she'll shake her head and groan. If it's at all one that she knows. Then she'll throw her leg upside me. Pitch me with a wild monkey toes. Ow, those monkey toes.
2: In a smoke-filled nightclub on the edge of town, it's a pleasant environment. But, uh, but in the 21st century, uh, you know you don't even have to leave the couch. Just turn on the TV in commercials or as theme songs. You will see and hear the blues are everywhere. I'm Elwood.
3: Here's the blues scale.
4: Now you sing it with me. Breathe. Now let's try it like this.
1: I would never sleep through the night if somebody told me i would never sleep have happen- This wouldn't happen to me
0: that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution.
5: Shout now make
6: you, shout. Make you, shout. Make you
0: shout. And now, here is an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, the Jorgensons. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
4: Let me tell you about that hot night. The moon fell down and it came alive. Pocahico by the riverside.
0: from their brand new release and we got Kurt and Brianna on the line right now. Hey guys, how you doing? Great, how are you Richard? Hi Richard. I'm doing pretty well. Now, this is the first time you've been on our show and we always start things off by giving our fans an opportunity to really get to know who you are not only as artists but as people and the best way to do that is through your journey. So give us the story of Kurt and Brianna and, of course, the Jorgensons.
7: Sure. Uh, Kurt and I started working together. Um, We met while um, I was putting together my first solo album. My mom was a really, really huge fan of Kurt. I shouldn't say was. She is. Um, And she said, you know, you got to come down and listen to this band. The lead singer is so good. So we came down and... And I, I really enjoyed it. I started coming out and Kurt and I got to talking and he was just wondering what I was doing with my music, if anything. And at the time I, I was playing with other bands, but not really doing my own music. And that was my goal. And so we started working together, um, in the studio and, and putting the songs together. And, and I ended up releasing that album, but shortly after it, it just lended itself to us joining forces and, uh, and, it, and we just moved from there, and it, it just happened really fast, and it was a natural progression that just seemed right, and, and that's how we initially met and started working together.
8: Um, do you want to weigh, on, weigh in on that? Yeah, I mean, I had been going um, with my thing probably since like the late 80s in the Minneapolis, the Twin Cities, whatever, <clears throat> and um, just kind of trying to create a sound, and I had some success with that, Uh, the Kurt Jorgensen band over the years, and it was very fun, but the band had kind of lived its life and went through some changes, and so when Brianna and I started working together. um, It felt like it was a good time for me to make a change and and let the Kurt Jorgensen band be in the past and then do this new thing with Brianna. We really didn't know what the name was going to be. And we were, you know, kind of just starting to get romantically involved at the same time. Funny how that works out. (laughs) Um, It's a common story. Um, But, and then we kind of, you know, we had to kind of discover what it was musically that we wanted to do and let it happen. And we, we kind of done a, a first recording that, we just kind of sold the shows really wasn't released and it wasn't quite there yet. And then something kind of happened where I think I just let my part of it be what it always has been, which is a little more kind of blues. um, I don't want to use the word Southern rock influence, but kind of like that. And, um, uh, you know, Brianna had some, really great songs and great ideas. And so as we kind of started doing this, we kind of went, wow, we got this sound and um, we sing together rather well and easy. And and it's a good blend. And, you know, it's uh, um, in, in rock and roll, pop music, there's lots of good blends over the years. And we're not um, rewriting the history books with what we're doing, but... There's always room for one more good blend out there because that's kind of the essence of music is is harmony and and being able to sing together. Okay, in my mind.
0: So uh, now, you as as people as musicians yourselves, what was that crossroad moment for you where you knew music was was a career path?
7: <laughs> oh boy. I mean, I think since I've been a little girl, I want, you know, you dream about it being a, a career path or something you want to do. Just I grew up playing much more classical-based stuff, but, you know, the piano side was like the highlight of my year. I think we did two a year, and it was like that moment where you could get up in front of someone and play your instrument and, and entertain somebody. And I've always liked just... That entertaining someone, be it with a story or music or whatever. I come from a, a big family, and and uh, my grandmother was a character, and she could entertain anybody. She could she could just whether she was speaking, cooking, played. She also played piano. She was amazing, um, singing, um, you name it. She whatever she did was entertaining, <laughs> and I just I loved that. That I don't know. It's just something that grabbed me at a young age and I never knew really if I'd be able to do it as a full-time career I I didn't I didn't know what that looked like or how to even necessarily go about it but somehow it just it just happened I think if you want something enough you find your way with it and um, yeah I, I I love that that we play music full full time it's uh, it, a that, that part is a dream come true Okay. For me Go
8: I, um, my great grandmother died. Who was this um, tiny little woman who didn't speak very good English, and I don't even know if she could write English. And for whatever reason, she had uh, two Beatles albums, and that's what was left to me. And I got the records, and my mom got me my own little uh, phonograph. Um. And, uh, I started listening to the Beatles when I was about five and I just, that was it. I mean, I still have that, that, um, hard days night record. And, um, that was it. I wanted to be the Beatles and I'd seen them on TV and whatever. Of course they were long broken up by then. And, um, I just fell in love with the idea of, Guitars and guys in the band, and it's—it's really the only thing that I ever wanted to do. I've never even really had a second choice.
0: Okay, well that's fair enough. Now, um, let's talk about the new release. If you were to run across someone in the street and you had to give them that elevator pitch about (laughs) what this is, what this you know this release is about, what would you tell them? Ooh.
8: Well, I mean, we do that all the time, actually, because someone will will ask, "Well, what do you guys? What's the music? What kind of music is it?" You know, and everybody wants um, some kind of genre or brand that they can that they can put on you so they understand it. And I'm okay with that. I know a lot of musicians and artists get really irritated with it, but um, you know, people have to understand what it is you're doing. So I just say, you know, it's like a uh, bluesy rock. Uh, have you ever heard Eric Clapton? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, I mean, because I think when you're talking about music with people, I think oftentimes musicians go way over people's heads. And I think you have to take it to a really, really um, easy to digest description of what it is that you do. Um and I, you know, I think all kinds of things. We're, uh, I like to think in a way we're like the band or something like that where we've taken a bunch of different kind of um, forms of American music and just kind of married them all together. And, you know, people do it all the time. It's wonderful. and The results are great. And we're another band doing that.
7: Yeah, I think, like, one word that always comes to mind for me is melting pot. You know, we're like this melting pot of of everything – that you might like about music, and it's um, it's hard to describe yourself. It just is. Sometimes you're just too, I don't know if it's you're too close to it, or it's weird that when someone asks you that question, you st- I stumble on my words. We are, uh, I don't know, <laughs> but it's like um, you you are trying to to grab them, and and that actually. You know, I don't know if I'm ruining a question by going there, but it's why we called the album Americana Soul. I was just going to say that. I mean, that yeah, is I, the exact reason. Is just that tells you what it is? That's what it is. We, you know, so many people ask what the genre is, and so you you list off all these different genres, and you're hoping it's something that they gravitate to or or want to listen to, but it, in in all reality, it just boils down to this Americana Soul thing, and so we
8: ran with it and that's that's what we've been running with and and in all truth of this i gotta give the guy credit who who i feel coined the phrase was uh a writer in minneapolis in the uh oh, i'm sure he went back to the 70s but tom surowitz um called my music americana soul maybe 20 years ago and i thought oh i guess that's what i do well it is kind of what i do so when it came around for this album title, we both just thought, yeah, American soul. That's great.
0: All right. Well, that's fair enough. Now let's talk about you guys as songwriters, um, because let's face it. you know, any good release starts out with songs. Uh, Mm -hmm. when you sit down to begin that process, what, what is it that allows you to tap into your muses?
8: Hmm. Do you want to go first? Well, I can be inspired by anything and I don't really go around looking for it or, um, you know, light candles in the bathtub at night and sit and wait for this amazing moment. I think life is just so full of amazing moments and sort of dull moments too that can be great songs. So I think you just have to pay attention and look, look for the the stories or things to inspire you to write a song. Um, for me, I don't labor long over writing songs. Sometimes I do, but for the most part, I don't. I, I kind of have it in my head, and I'm sort of writing it and imagining the way it's going to sound um, with the band and you know my guitar and whatever. So that by the time I even pick up a guitar and try to sing the idea, it's sort of already there. And I, I'm, I'm very different. Kurt
7: and I write in very different ways, which makes it very fun, especially when we sit down to write together. But for me, I first of all, inspiration, I, I also agree with Kurt. It's, you know, I used to, to journal a lot or, or write down almost any lyrics that would come to my mind, and pretty soon I just had a, what I felt like a bunch of pages filled with just nothing. <laughs> so I, I kind of made this rule for myself that if I came up with a lyric or an idea, if I could remember it a few days later, and and I still thought it was great or something that I could expand on, then then I would write it down and, and expand on it. Um, and that has served me well. It made yeah. me made me has made me think a lot deeper. It's made me throw away a lot of ideas, which is I'm I used to get so upset about, but I, now I'm really comfortable with just tossing one aside. Oh, no, it wasn't. It's not the right time, or I don't feel enough towards it, or whatever. But I love reading, and specifically for this album, I'm just a huge Tom Robbins fan. I'm just a geek over him. I I love him. I've read all his books multiple times, and and um, um, his characters are for me really fun characters to write songs about. So, I, two of his characters, each from separate books, um, lend itself to to two different songs for this on this album. Um, one was for Miles. One was for um, out of my mind and it's really fun i personally like writing about things that are not that have nothing to do with my life i think that's really fun um and sure once in a while you come up with one that hits home for yourself and it's a it's it's sentimental you're close to it but at this stage in my life i'm getting a lot more joy out of writing about other people or you know fictional people (laughs) okay
0: Now, you know, one of the things that always intrigues me is that there is a um, mental separation between melody and lyric. Lyric is one side of the brain where it's very structured. You have the story, continuity, rhyme, meter, but melody is a little different. Um, It's more esoteric. You can, you know, create one with just a rhythmic background and allow it to free form out. And then other songwriters reach for the lyric and, and the cadence of the words kind of dictate where the melody should mm-hmm. go. What is kind of your go-to when you start
8: looking for your melodic ideas? That's it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I think right away about the Beatles and Paul McCartney and how uh, yesterday was scrambled eggs. And so he had that melody. And, um,
7: eggs.
8: yeah, which, <laughs> it still sounds good. Yeah.
7: <laughs> yeah, it works. Uh, we love it either way. It doesn't matter. I don't know either. if it would have th-
0: been as big a
8: hit, but okay. no, you know, but you know, there's, there's been money in advertising for, um, for me, I think when you talked about the cadence of the words, letting themselves to the melody, I probably write more like that. Like I said, I really, by the time I get the song, like the guitar in my hand, that I'm going to sing it a little bit and try it, I have somewhat of a melody in my head because I've been working it out there. So I don't really know. In a weird way for me, the, the lyrics and the melody come together. In some cases, I've had a um, melodic idea that, I'll keep around for a while and then the lyric does come to it but if the lyric's not in the melody or the mel- the, the other way around it it it's a struggle for me so it, the flow of it needs to be real natural for me and and I sort of let it be like that I, I never force things at all
7: Okay yeah I think I'm I'm very similar I Whatever feels right. Although I can, you know, syllables. Sorry, I didn't mean to hit the table. Syllables like um, ba ba ba. You know, I if I'm in my head, you know, got this melody that it just have. I'll use a triplet as a, an example. Triplet do do do. In my head, I really want like a three, either a three syllable word or a da ba ba. You know, I I try. It's like a puzzle piece to me at times, Um and. I feel in the last couple of years, my songwriting has changed in in the regard that I try and set goals for myself um, that that are uncomfortable for me. Like um, I don't want every other line to rhyme and And for me, that's terribly uncomfortable. <laughs> So, in that regard, uh, sometimes just the natural flow of a, a word or a melody, that it swoops in and saves you. Because it's like, oh, well, it lends itself to this. And I, I wouldn't have thought of that before.
8: And mm-hmm. I, I do think with lyrics, too, um, you can have the song more or less done. And then as you're recording it and you're singing it, there's an opportunity to improve there. And that, that definitely happens. Absolutely. Somebody will go, you know, when you're singing that line, it's kind of weird or it's not really working try this and you know that's that's where changes are usually made
0: you know it's interesting because um one of the i think is the biggest tripping points for a lot of young songwriters is that moment where you need to declare the song finished at least in that phase You know, it it constantly evolves, you know, through the recording process. And then when you take it out on the road, it evolves even more. I mean, I can't Mm -hmm. tell you how many musicians said, you know, after I recorded it and then toured with it, then I wish I could have recorded it again, you know, and I would have done it different. What, What do you guys use as your quantifier to kind of determine when the song is ready to give to the musicians, to give to the producer and kind of allow them to kind of put their fingerprints on it, you know, the kind of move it to that next phase of its life.
8: I think for me, it's pretty obvious when it's done. Um, and I can't tell you that there's like a, you know, a bell that goes off. Okay. All the parts are complete. Um, the, the, I look at stuff like um, Neil Young. Neil Young will have a song with one verse and a chorus, and he repeats that verse again. I mean, he really will do that. And they're great songs. And then you've got somebody like Dylan will have five verses, and they're all different. And I just I don't think that I have like any rules about stuff when a song is done or what kind of song it's going to be, or I have to do this or that, when it feels like it's done, I know it's done. And then when it gets in the band, it does change. And then again, like I said, when we're recording it, there's an opportunity for it still to evolve. I, um, I don't know, it was probably about uh, 18 years ago, I set a goal where I wrote a song every day. Every single day of that year, I wrote a song, and I finished them, all of them, and the absolute majority were not very good songs, and I I couldn't tell you anything about them or where they are, but um, it was just a practice, and I learned a lot about writing songs at that time um, in the way that there's a lot of different kinds of songs, and if you start making rules as you're writing you're going to get into problems i think for me a song is
7: uh uh, it it really varies i'm more of an open-ended person where like i might be stuck on something so that's when i come to kurt and say hey i've you know i've been singing this darn verse and chorus for three months (laughs) and not find a second verse or or what am I even trying to say here? I don't even know. And usually just after one, one moment of sitting down together, it's like I all of a sudden have clarity and maybe the song's finished then and then we're recording it. And others, it's for me, when it's lyrically put together, that's when it's done. Well, I guess in, in the writing phase, then it goes to the studio and it can morph into, to something more but I'd say and you know different little hooks or melodies might come that make it um, that take it maybe a different direction I wasn't thinking that I liked or, or whatever it may be but for me I think when I feel like the lyrics are done that's when I'm done writing the song and, th- and then like I said it can musically it's almost like it has another life like it, okay boom now, now with music what's
8: it going to be and it's it's kind of what you just, it's kind of interesting in a way, like the, the song that you had on your website, you said voodoo, that's one that I heard Brianna walking around the house for a month, at least singing the verses, and when every time it would get to where the chorus comes.
7: I knew I wanted it to be something with, because I was writing about Marie Laveau, who's the voodoo priestess of mm-hmm. was of new orleans and i had this whole story we had we were spending a lot of time in new orleans at the time and just was so inspired and so i thought oh, i'd write her a song so i was singing all these words about voodoo in, in the chorus and it was not what kurt it's not what it is now but he's like how about,
8: well how how about this and well i, I heard just, it as you're playing it all the time i would hear it and i'd be in the other room or whatever and i'd I'd sing it to myself and go, yeah, I don't, should I go tell her that, that I have the chorus? No, I'll, I'll wait and see what she comes up with. And it kind of went on and on, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to tell her. I was like, okay, so sing that verse, and when you get to the verse right there, just stop. And then I took over playing, and I said, here's here's where I think the chorus should be. And she said, oh, yeah, I think that'll work. So we've, we've done that for each other a couple times, but it works better um, with Brianna's songs because she tends to, Play them around the house a lot, and I hear them.
7: Yeah, Kurt's like a steel trap. I don't know what the heck is going on in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm singing in the kitchen. I'm singing in the living room. Yep. Singing in the bathroom. I just yep. that's where I do. That's where I really work it out. So I just walk around the house and and sing it. Okay, now
0: let's talk about going into the studio. Uh, and I know this is your world, Kurt. You know kind of being the engineer, producer of this um, but every every artist has their way of capturing the sound they're looking for. What is your process in the studio that helps you get the sound you're looking for?
8: Um. Wow, that is a tricky question. I'm always looking for clarity and trying to record things in a way that things don't compete with each other frequency wise. Um, and on top of that also get an exciting performance, uh, that, that tells the story of the song. So, um, my belief is you need a lot of microphones and you need really good microphones mm-hmm. and they do the cueing for you. And that's hard to do when you have a home studio and you really don't have a lot of budget and, you know, the music industry doesn't really pay for these records like they used to anyway, so that's complicated to do. But, you know, over time you build a my collection and you talk to people and find out what it is that's going to work for you. And, um, you know, my advice to anybody that's getting a home studio is go over your head on mics don't scamp.
0: Well, and I agree with you 100%. I'm I'm like the Tim Toolman Taylor of studios, <laughs> home studios. I mean, you know, I'm I'm, you know, if there's if there's a hole in my patch bay, I got to fill it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, you can't have empty patches in your patch bay. That's just wrong.
8: You know. <laughs> and my you know, my is really big <laughs> yeah
0: I know what you mean I mean I've got you know I've got 8 channels of API preamps 6 channels of Neve 1073's I've got uh, focus rights um, UA 710's I mean i got a boatload of, of preamps and, uh, well, and
8: microphones what what's that you need a John Hardy
0: oh really okay geez now you're going to put me on that, that hunt better look it up yeah i'm gonna look it up and uh you know of course i've got a a a u87 you know uh, neumann uh, 103 102s uh and i'm a big fan of of warm audio mics i think their mics are just phenomenal for the money um i've heard good things yeah i just got their their cx12 the akg uh, c12 clone wow Wow! I did a uh, saxophone with it. It was just absolutely amazing. Really, really nice. So yeah, um, I'm real happy with them.
8: We have the Telefunken C12. Oh yeah, and okay. There you go. That's a good. Like, and then we also have a um, a Bach. That's a C12 clone. That's a oh, actually, it's it's the um, yeah. It's a great sounding microphone uh, for Brianna's vocals. Yep. I like the U47 for mine. Yeah, the U47? For my voice, yeah. 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 I have but sometimes eight. we use. I have an 87 too that we use once in a while if we want something that's a little brighter or edgier sounding. Mm-hmm. And then um, we've got a. Um, 48 to or 49 that that I use once in a while for vocals
0: nice now what do you use as your DAW I'm always curious
8: Um, we are using the uh, UA Uh, oh yeah the um, uh, Universal Audio Interface
0: right right Uh, the Apollo so you're using Luna (laughs) as your DAW exactly okay yeah, I hear that. I hear good things about Lunar. I hear that it's, it's a nice software. I'm using, uh, I had moved from uh, Pro Tools uh, Cubase to over to Studio One for Pro, uh, Personas. And uh, I found that to be a really great workflow.
8: So I, in all honesty, I recorded at a studio um, in a small town in Minnesota called Northfield. Miss The guy who owns the studio is my mentor, and he's Literally got two of every vintage mic. I mean, he's Love got it. everything. Got two real plate reverbs, and oh, jeez. Um, I mean, he's literally just everything. So we we recorded everything on tape, analog. He's got a beautiful Atari machine, and I only started doing Pro Tools when I started putting together my own home studio because I just you know doing tape wasn't really feasible. Um, And so, to be honest, this last album that we did was... It's our first first Pro Tools album. Pro Tools album. (laughs) Everything else was... (laughs) So I just learned it. Otherwise, I've been doing analog recording. What I do like about Pro Tools is it kind of is set up um, for people that have done a lot of analog recording in the field. I think if you're someone who just likes... Who is good at knowing computer programs, Pro Tools might actually be a little difficult for you.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of Pro Tools. Um, basically, anyone who's on Pro Tools is because they're pretty much too lazy to learn anything else. Um, you know, they're stuck in that, that learning curve.
8: You know what I mean? So, yeah, I do know what you I resisted for a long time. It's One thing that's really nice about being on Pro Tools is that, so many other people are when you share stuff it just it works a little easier it's more compatible and you know
0: well yeah uh, they, they actually do that by design they kind of make things difficult if you're not on their absolutely. platform
8: Absolutely. yeah absolutely
0: and that's one of the things that that really annoyed me about them is that because of that you know why do i want to invest in a platform that's locking me in you
8: know I I completely understand.
0: Now, let's talk a little bit about the industry as a whole. Um, I mean, you know, we all know that streaming is the way consumers um, consume music today. The problem is is that recorded music has lost its status as a product. It has lost its value um, because people don't buy music anymore. It's now a service. How has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you guys as artists?
8: Well, it's it's been bad. I mean, in all honesty, you know, I I had a nice, what I would call like a cottage industry. I could put out an album and I would always know that I could sell enough copies to one, pay for the recording in the studio time and then pay for the next album. And I kind of had that going and you could count on selling CDs at shows. And just as a side note, CDs are the best format that we've ever had. I mean, it's the best sounding. Uh, nothing really comes close, I don't think. Um, as fun as vinyl is, it's just, you know. It, it. And I have probably 300 albums, and I always have, but it just doesn't sound as good as a CD. Right. So it's really hurt us, and um, obviously it's hurt hurt the labels, um, they don't have a product, and uh, streaming music is now free. And I'm not really sure how we turn the corner on that. It used to be that concerts, you would go out and tour to promote your album, and then you made your money on your your sales. Right. And now, you know, now the money is in touring, but there really has never been a lot of money in touring because it's so expensive. I mean, to feed a band and a crew and house everybody for a week is a lot of money.
0: Well, it's even getting worse now because since the pandemic, routing a tour today has become a little more difficult because a lot of those routing gigs that we all depended on for that Monday, Tuesday night, you know, that covered the what? hotels and
8: the food, they're gone.
9: hmm they're not yeah, gone,
8: gone. Not the you, you really almost have to do like fly outs and just do one or two dates and then come home yeah do one yeah. yeah
7: you yeah. got to do like a thursday friday saturday come home thursday friday saturday come home which we're eager to to do and be a part of that but it is it looks very different now you're right
8: yeah i mean we used to go out years ago and we had a school bus we made into a tour bus and it was cheap and easy you could go play college gigs and do all kinds of things and you know go play some little bar gigs in between to like you said pay for your hotel rooms or whatever and it's gone uh, and I do think that um, there's a hunger for music out there. One thing I learned uh, on this release is that all these small FM stations are popping up. Uh, people with their own streaming stations are all over the place, and they have listeners. They have audiences, and and people support them, and people
7: are listening, and that and I think not only encouraging, but it's exciting.
8: It is, it, and it, I'm sure that Clear Channel is not shaking in their boots about it. No, but um, <laughs> but the people who are listening to those shows are, are the true music lovers. Well, they're your consumers. They're the people who are going to buy your product. I mean. Uh, I think the people who just listen to an average FM radio station, they're not going to get locked in because your music is sort of background music where if someone's actually tuning in to hear a show, you know, that's a blues show or an Americana show, they're connoisseurs. They're interested and they're digging deeper. And there's a lot of people doing it. And uh, I wish it was everybody. I wish it was like, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, your dream was to have a great big stereo and your friends would come over and, hey, we're going to go over to so-and-so's after school. His dad's got an awesome stereo. We're going to listen to, you know, Led Zeppelin on it or whatever it was. And uh, those days are gone. Oh, people yeah. aren't listening. The I mean, fact it's... that people don't have stereos anymore is is a serious concern.
0: Well, you know, I, as a studio guy, you know, and you, you you can relate to this. I mean, you know, we... Invest thousands of dollars in eking out every nuance of sound yep. that we can yep. out of these recordings. I mean, you know, we get speakers that you know cost as much as a car sometimes, yeah, uh, right?
7: <laughs> and it makes total sense. Same with microphones, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, and microphone. I mean, you know, the C12 alone that's what 25 grand, set, you know, in yep. yeah, alone, <laughs> you know, and and then all of that gets bumped down to an MP3 or a stream and in, in thrown through some earbuds.
8: You know, nobody or, moves air anymore. Or there's a, a mono sound bar or whatever they, you know, little yeah. thing that yeah. they have. And it really, it sounds like it's, you know, under a blanket or something. So it's, it's hard and streaming, you know, It doesn't sound very good. I mean, it just does not. And uh, oftentimes, we'll we'll be streaming something in the car, and I'm like, we got to turn this off. The vocals are missing, you know. I won't say what streaming service, but we stopped using one and got a different one because it was higher quality. And the other one, uh, I just couldn't listen to the mixes. It was like music through a... uh, a, strainer. <laughs> a fence or a strainer. It's just like so many frequencies missing. Um, I think this was evident, you know, we have a memory of of music that we know well, and then when you hear that music streaming, you go, oh gosh, it sounds just terrible.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Now, you know, um, when you when you talk about streaming, that revenue that we get from streaming is not sustainable as a business model. I mean, we, we need to change this dynamic. We can't continue to uh, uh, expect independent artists to create content, go into studios, hire musicians, create this content. And let's face it, we, the independent artist community is what makes up a bulk of what these streaming services provide. And not give them at least the opportunity to break even, and that's what's happening today. What do you think needs to happen within the industry to kind of change that dynamic and bring more revenue to the artists that are you know that are putting their content up?
8: Well, I think for starters, they're probably going to have to raise the price on how much it costs to have one of these streaming services. I mean, how can how can And artists like us say, hey, buy our CD or buy our album for $15 when that $15 for a month you can stream every song you can think of. How can we possibly compete with that? And that $15 a month probably is not enough to filter down and and have artists like us make any money. And we've all heard the horror stories of huge hits where the artist made you know fifteen hundred dollars or something for the whole year, uh, the way it stands right now, I mean, you would never even make enough to pay for your instrument that you used on the album, let alone have multiple instruments. So it's to say it's not a it's, it's not sustainable or a feasible way to have a career. It's beyond that. I mean it's you know you could have a garage sale and do better at your garage sale once a year than you could at streaming, even if you have a hit. So it's, I don't know. It's just, it's.
7: It it needs to absolutely change. I don't even know what the change looks like in that regard. I I mean, I don't. Someone super high up has to all of a sudden care about someone. They're not going to care. We're right the- right exactly someone at our level and, and we're just not going to see that happen. Well, um you know
0: I think one of the biggest problems is is there was an article in, in Billboard that basically said of the billions of dollars that are generated by the music industry 12% gets back to the artist. And that's that's taking your Taylor Swifts your Beyoncé's all of them into yeah. account. Yeah. with the independent artist community it's even less than that that's that's a terrible statistic you know when you look at the sports industry you know they're they're gaining you know fifty forty five to fifty percent of the incoming revenue goes back to the players themselves you know in the sports industry this is not a sustainable business model that we can live with so no. um So we need to definitely make a change. And the problem with the music industry is there's way too many middlemen in this industry. Oh, no kidding. And we need to kind of cut them out. And one of the things that I've been watching is there is a move within the industry to decentralize the music industry as a whole. And that basically is to take out all of these middlemen and just make it between the fan and the artist. And one of the technologies I'm watching is this uh, streaming services that are based on the blockchain, which is that technology that they use to secure cryptocurrency. And you can now embed applications into here, smart contracts, all of that. And you have Audius, uh, Emanate. There's Audio Locks, which is on its way these are claiming that they can pay artists up to 80% of the incoming revenue because there is no middleman. Nobody owns the service. It's owned by the fans and the artists. They're in control of the content. They're in control of the revenue. They're in control of the service. Uh, What do you think of that as a potential future for the industry?
8: I think it would change our lives. Yeah. I don't really know enough to, to really, uh, that took off. Yeah. If that took off,
7: you, I mean, and that money was really going back to the artist and there, we didn't have to pay all the middlemen and, and and do that whole song and dance. Um, it would make people at our level be able to just continue making music and, and have a career and, and, uh, I mean, I, I could do, I dream of this day. I hope this can happen in my lifetime uh, because it would, it, it um, artists deserve, deserve this. I mean, the same way as sports, the sports people deserve to be paid what they're being paid for, for their their talent and and everything that goes into them. I I think that's fabulous that that money goes back to those, to the players and the athletes and and everything like that. And I just, it's kind of mind boggling that people don't feel the same way about artists. I I don't, I'll never understand it.
8: Um, I mean, one of the things you're going to have to convince the consumers that music has a value again, that's really going to be tricky to do younger people. Think music is free, and I think to convince people otherwise is going to be very difficult.
0: Well, you know, I, I don't think the consumer is going to is it, going to be our target to change. We're, the consumer is going to follow the change. What we right. need to do is take control of our content mm-hmm. as as a group, as a whole not only independent artists, but the major artists as well, is take control of our own content and and allow us to monetize and, and to um, make it available to our fans in unique ways. One of the tentacles of this particular technology I'm finding really particularly interesting is the site, that I've found called Royal.io. Now, what they do, and 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 there was an artist called Naz. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a rap artist. What he did no. is he went to this site, Royal.io, and he created these non-fungible tokens, which is basically like a digital certificate that represented 0.15% of his streaming royalties on songs and he did enough for those to cover the one half of the royalties on two songs that he had on his current release and he sold it to his fan base these NFTs and was able to generate almost six hundred thousand dollars in upfront income well wow. not only that he now has three thousand fans plus or whatever That have an economic interest Mm -hmm. in making sure that his music is streamed. On top of that, these things are bought and sold like on an open market, like stocks. Every time one is resold, he gets a percentage in perpetuity. It's like selling stock in a song. Were you giving I mean, your fans like the ability
8: that, to create that, income streams? Something like that makes sense. I mean, th- we'll have to figure out something like that because we don't have a we don't have a product that people can leave with, right?
0: But people will invest if they if they feel vested into the brand of that artist, right? Now, if I had the opportunity to invest in a Taylor Swift song. I jump on it because I know yeah. there's there's a return. Yeah. You know? Or you know, I feel connected to Taylor Swift because I'm investing in her, investing my money into her art. So, I think that this is a viable future where the fan and the artist now connect. And and they're the ones who are the record company. You know what I mean? The creature it great. <laughs> it's it's an interesting business model, and, and it's it's out there. It's available now, and people are starting to utilize it. It's just a matter of moving that into the mainstream, allowing this whole crypto world to be set as the background and putting up a front end that insulates the public from that. You know what I mean? The public sees crypto, they start getting nervous. If you insulate them from that back end and just give them dollars and cents and this is, you know, how it works, I think they would, they easily
8: could be gravitated toward. it.
7: I think so too.
8: Yeah, I mean, anything's worth trying. I do think that the labels <coughs> are... Trying to figure something out because they have nothing to sell. Well, uh, if you, you notice,
0: know. a lot of these labels are investing in publishing of classic mm-hmm. rock artists. Mm-hmm. Right. They're hedging uh-huh. their bets at this point that they're not going to be in the new music uh, business anymore.
8: Right. Yeah. I mean, they're not. I mean, what? was the last time somebody like Atlantic Records put right. out? a new artist that broke. I don't
0: know. Yeah, well, no. The days of Ahmed er- Erdogan are, are way gone. You
8: They're know? way gone. The, the paradigm is shifted.
0: Yeah. But now it's going to be up to artists to take control of their own revenue streams, their their content, and, and kind of, you know, change the industry from the bottom up instead of the top down. You yeah,
7: know? it's a better... But yeah.
0: Now, one of the things that became really clear, you know, to make this kind of thing work is this whole world of content creation and social media marketing, where artists started to create content and started to brand themselves. You know, we've been in this world, you know, over the last 30 years where reality shows have been kind of... Uh, Programmed into us, uh, where that's the kind of content that we're very familiar with, and a right. lot of artists are starting to to uh, pick up on it and giving their fans this behind the scenes look at their world, showing them their hobbies, showing them things you do. I know one uh, girl singer that I know she has chickens, and she shows off her chickens and you know like TikToks and and instagrams and so on and so forth yeah people who are into that you know it's almost like funnel marketing where you create this wide net at the top where you bring in people of varied interests you bring them into your funnel and you distill them down to those who will really become your fans that want to invest in your art you know what i mean
8: Oh yeah, absolutely. We just did a, <laughs> yesterday we have a five-year-old and uh, him and I were messing around with the guitar downstairs and we did um, Iron Man, the riff, you know, Black Sabbath. Right. And I posted that on our, our um, Facebook page and it probably got more views and likes than just about anything that we've posted over the last year.
7: Yeah, people really love when we share the family stuff and right. the behind-the-scenes stuff with the band. And that's fun. And I don't think Kurt or I are either of us are super um, social media gurus, but you're right in the sense it uh, it obviously helps. I mean, it, it, yep. it's wonderful to have people that will come up to us at shows. And, you know, oh, yeah, the, the show was so great. We're so happy you're here. We love what you did with William in the studio. It's like yeah. They, they want to talk about the other stuff, yeah. which is fine with us, because if that's where the connection is, and that's what keeps them, A, you know, wanting to support us, and they feel like they're a part of what we're doing, that's what we want with them. Anyway, that's what you want in your fans. You want them to be a part of it. So it seems for us, natural to share what we have i mean we're a family we're the jorgensons it, it seems natural to share what we have going on at our house and and um mean, the studios at our house so there's clips from there and it is fun and it's fun to interact with people it really is
0: and and i think that you know the artists that i'm finding that are really gaining success have embraced that and taken it to that next level and if you think about it i mean we all walk around with a video production studio in our pocket. You know,
8: our- <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. No, yeah. it's true.
0: You know, our phones shoot in 4K. There are apps that give us all kinds of, you know, uh, video effects that would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars back in the day. And it's, it's true. All right there on our phone. And we have access to a worldwide broadcast network where it doesn't cost us a dime to create our own reality show. And and I think that the fans really want that authenticity. They want that connection
8: to Agreed. the artist
0: that they feel that they know them.
8: You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's 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 absolutely true. We um we have to go get our, no? Okay. Okay.
0: All right. Well, listen, I Really appreciate you guys coming on the show. And it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there an indie blues double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You know, turn it up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun
1: tonight. Love it. You got to shake it. Because the damn's about. You got to shake it. Never seen all it can take. No I am the oh, got to shake it before it's all oh mama you got to shake it The ship it now the flood
0: that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution.
5: You rock the shade, gonna scream my name, make you shout now on
6: gonna make you shout, make you shout make you shout. Make you shout.
10: Drive me out of my mind
3: If I'm dead. Ain't coming back. Took my money and all of my clothes. You left me on the seem to care, they're gonna put us in the electric chair, hair on fire, running red lights, he's got the USA in his sights,
6: how long?
11: to your front door Yeah, it's a party coming, baby Back right to your front door
5: You better get your jelly Jelly, jelly, jelly roll
11: i
12: Day. When you ask her why that is, she'll look at you and pause, turn on her heels, walk away, and wait for the applause. The
0: was hit by a truck and you were lying out in that gutter dying and you had time to sing one song, Huh? one song. You're a
13: model of flawless design. I can't help but feel butterflies every time you are by. You make me want to throw away my storyline and make a new one with you.
2: I could be a new rescue, rescue. Have been long overdue. Come out, go vote Wear me like your favorite clothes. Say you love me.
1: Everybody needs to know. Dress or see, baby. You're made for me, me. Take my heart and put it on your
13: sleeve. Bitter heartless, I've been cold and dead. Cut my heart off from my head. Stuck in someone
12: else's bed. Who's this?
10: Every day
2: you have to hear the blues in a smoke-filled nightclub on the edge of town. It's a pleasant environment but uh, but in the 21st century uh, you know you don't even have to leave the couch Just turn on the TV in commercials or as theme songs you will see and hear the blues are everywhere. I'm Elwood.
10: I guess there just aren't enough rocks. This is a gift.
6: I'll tell them goodbye.
0: That's my show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you heard some artists that you didn't know about and enjoyed some artists that you did. And remember, all of these artists that I played on this show are out there right now, touring and creating new original music rooted in the blues. If you want to keep the blues alive, you have to support... The artists who are out there creating that new music. Because it is a living art form that is being performed every single night, somewhere in the world. So, if you get a chance, stop by our website at makingthescene.org. You can find out about some great new artists and the ones that we played on this show tonight. add them to your playlist and you can discover them on our website. So, till next time, this is Lahamadou. Tech, I'm out of here.
11: Baby, just gone away. Dr. a face, left home with my
5: friend. I got lost, my dog, I'm alone. Just fought somebody. I mean, you found it funny. I got knocked in the head, man. My all friend's not lying, he think I'm dead. Train so long. Don't don't.